Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast, where we talk about the intersection between faith and culture. I'm your host, Josiah. And I'm your co-host, Byron. And we're sorry. Yeah, I'm not going to do it this time. <laughs> I almost did it. Do- I almost <laughs> did it, but I decided I wasn't going to do it. I We honestly... We've honestly been wrecking our brains trying to remember what dumb thing we said last time, and we're yeah. sure there's. We don't something... know why we're sorry, but we're sure it's our fault, so we're sorry. There's something we probably said in in this last episode with Cody that was probably rude and just normal for us to say, but still we should. And the thing about it is, Byron, this is very like not Christian because. If you're really sorry and repentant, you don't do it again. So we're kind of being real bad, you know, Christians and stuff. I don't know if we've done the same thing twice. <laughs> well, okay. So actually, this is from two weeks ago. I'm gonna. I, I said I wouldn't make an apology next week for this, but um, since like from the recording with Jacoby, I called my brother a jerk, and we published that. Um, <laughs> and I kind of stand by because when we were kids, he was a jerk. Um, but he's not anymore. Um, so, but I did say I wouldn't apologize for it next week, which would be Cody's episode. So I didn't. But now I will publicly apologize to my brother, Will. Um, you're an okay guy, Will. I love you. Um, I'm sorry that I called you a jerk on our podcast that goes out to, I don't know, like 100 people-ish, maybe. I don't know. I'm Something still not like sure. That. I'm still not sure the reporting is accurate on anything. But someone listens to this. And sometimes it's even Will because he texts us and say, I can't believe you said this about me. Well, Which he texts this... me literally today and said, wow. And I said, what? I don't know what I did. He's, I'm listening to the podcast. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> so I had to be reminded because I actually totally forgot that I called him a jerk. So, yeah, I'm sorry, well, Will. That was that was not nice. I I'm sorry. You, I'm sorry, too, Will, for your brother also as well. <laughs> moving right along Whoa. let's let's do a sponsor plug you turn i i don't have any copy i don't know much about it are we gonna I do don't... a nord is that what you want yeah it's, it's not really copy. okay it's so it's nord vpn we've been what... sponsored by nord vpn so my minimal understanding is your your electronics and your information um when you're especially when you're on public wi-fi so as millennials we love coffee shops we love calling it you know, just like Mo, quote unquote, the office is the coffee shop. Um, so, but we're usually using public Wi-Fi, and that's a very easy place for our information to be at risk. So, NordVPN protects your information, in particular at times when it's vulnerable, like on on shared Wi-Fi. It makes it to where your unique address, like your IP address, which is your digital address to connect to the internet, is disguised. It makes it does a whole bunch of very fancy stuff to protect your. Uh, browsing just so that you're not a target for someone to just see what you're doing. So really what it in, in practical terms does is say you're going to log into your bank account and you're on Starbucks Wi-Fi, someone with enough know-how could actually watch your keystrokes digitally from that public Wi-Fi and get into your online banking, which would be a bad deal for you. So NordVPN does a whole bunch of stuff to protect that, to make your uh, digital online presence more anonymous really difficult to track almost impossible to track it's a vpn virtual proxy network i think is what that acronym stands for um but anyways it's like 2.99 a month you can get a 30-day money-back trial uh thing money-back guarantee thing with our link and it'll be in the description and i think it's probably worth considering 
um, especially if you're like Mo, the most millennial pastor ever, and you work <laughs> at a Starbucks all the time. So if that... you are regularly in the public space, that would be a good idea to protect yourself from, you know, fraud and getting your identity stolen and all your information out there. So. Anyways, I can't talk about sponsorships anymore. I have to be done with it. So that's it. Hey, the sponsor's over. Hooray. Good job, us. All right. If you're new to the uh, podcast, we regularly have guests because that makes the show better. Because otherwise, me and Byron talk about random stuff like calling Will a jerk. So fortunately, we have (laughs) another awesome guest on the show today. And her name is Anna. Anna, are you with us? I am here and ready to go. Yes. Thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. It's a real privilege. This is my first time doing anything like this, so I'm super excited. Don't worry. It's the first time for us to do this thing, too. We've only done... I We've been podcasting for all of, what, like 14? 16 weeks at the most? 16 weeks, so... We have no idea what we're doing, but we're super happy that you're doing it with us, Anna. But we're not going to stop doing it either, so (laughs) you're stuck with us, world. So, And it will be on the internet forever. So if you're just now listening for the first time, or if you've heard this a million times before, obviously we're millennials. Uh, Byron has been in ministry. I'm currently in ministry. We like to get people in ministry who happen to be millennials on the show, and there's lots of reasons why. So... Before we expand on that anymore, Anna, would you be willing to divulge your full name, your age, and where you are located? Sure. Um, My name is Anna Good, and I am 36, and, oh gosh, that sounds so old, Um, and, (laughs) (laughs) um, and I am located at a little tiny church, um, kind of in rural Michigan, rural southeast Michigan. Um, Adrian, Michigan, actually, is where I'm located. Um, it's a great little church. Love being here. And um, looking forward to see what God's going to do. And you are currently the lead pastor, correct? I am the lead pastor. I am the janitor. I am the you name it, fix it. I'd, so, I'd do it. <laughs> one, one, uh, it might be worth noting that Anna is also in the cohort with a lot of the other guests that you've heard on this podcast, yeah. like Hunter and Brent and Alicia and Amy and Sophie, and probably another one or two that I might be forgetting. Sorry if I'm forgetting you. I feel bad now. Um, but one of our cohort fellows or whatever you want to call them, and he hasn't been on the podcast yet. And this is the, this is like the best line. He said, I think it's a generous title to call us lead pastors. We're really just the only pastor. Right. I thought that was probably <laughs> the most funny thing to say. I'm like, that's so true. It's mm-hmm. a good it's point. <laughs> so real. But anyways, you're the pastor of this church. Yes. And, yep. And, and uh, we'll get into this maybe a little bit more later, but you're a female, you're a lead pastor and this might pertain to what we're about to do next. Can I ask, this is unusual, but we kind of talked about it with Alicia. She's sort of a unicorn, but you might be a unicorn too. So are you single as well? I am also single, yes. So you are a single female millennial lead slash only pastor. Yes, with no children also. <laughs> with no children. Man. Okay. So 36, you're a millennial. I guess we'll test that further. We'll really see just how millennial you are because we're going to throw on stereotypes at you. And to prepare you for that. Avocado chips question. I'm so ready. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, we're about to play the How Millennial Are You? And just a reminder, we're not trying to really actually be mean. These are all real life stereotypes that either Byron and I or some of our friends have had leveled at them. Or these are things you can find on the internet, in headlines, or in news articles, or on TV, or any number of places. These are real-life things people use as baseline assumptions for how to interact with other people. And as we like to say, sometimes when we label, we reduce a person to a thing. But people have names, so let's not do that. But to kind of hit that point home even more, let's play How Millennial Are You? Are you ready, Anna? (laughs) I am so ready. Oh, okay, so you, before we start, you started all that and then just like, oh, no, we're going to label you like <laughs> <laughs> we're going to drive the point home and preemptively say we're sorry. <laughs> Apology accepted. All right. Are you ready, you, well, I wouldn't say that until we're done because um, <laughs> we're coming out swinging this week. And I do. I don't mean this in a personal way. I'm not trying to offend you. So um, as a millennial, you clearly have commitment issues. So why aren't you married? And don't you think that if you had a man, it would help you do ministry better? Oh, goodness. (laughs) I told you. I told you we came, we're coming out swinging this time. And I actually feel a little bad, but there is, so I will say this. I'm I'm assuming it's worse for women pastors that are single. But when I was in ministry, I was not married. And I constantly have people try to set me up with like their granddaughters or their, their nieces or all kinds of people. And people always were so concerned with the fact that I didn't have a wife. Yeah, yeah. So, I, and then, I've been you know, told that I have people who are specifically praying that I will find a husband. No, when my home church found out that I was dating my, my wife now, mm-hmm. like, they lost their minds. They were so, they were so happy. <laughs> They're like, he's such a good guy. We're so glad he found somebody. Like, that was the first time she ever came to that church with me when we just started dating. Right. Like that was day one. So, like, I know, I know that feeling. So, yeah, it's kind of crazy for the onslaught. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess we're gonna let that be. A you might have commitment issues in some people's eyes. I mean, do you care to respond to that, Anna? Because it's a terrible question. Um. <laughs> uh. Well, I don't think I have commitment issues. Um. I guess I just haven't. Uh, I don't have commitment issues because I, I can follow things through to the end. Um, I, but, you know, it has to be a relationship worth pursuing in the first place, I guess. Absolutely. And also knowing that they're marrying into a ministry. Yeah, which <laughs> significantly decreases your uh, potential opportunities to meet people. <laughs> I can only I mean, imagine. I mean, that's uh, honestly, that's usually one of the first four or five questions that um, I throw out because that usually weeds them out pretty quickly. You know, the so how I do you bet. feel about potentially, you know, dating a pastor and watching their eyes get really big and trying to figure <laughs> out how not to offend me? Uh, that's that's always really interesting. So, oh, oh my gosh. Well. So just real talk for a second. This is the first time I sort of felt bad about a millennial question. Like I've been <laughs> just such a intentional punk to people on prayer. Like this one's like getting close to me, but it's such a reality in the church that I felt like we had to, we had to talk about it. But. And I have to be honest too, before we go any further, when I was single under the pastor, like talking to Josiah, when you're getting like older, like even in your late twenties and you're single and into your thirties, 
Like, Josiah, you got married at the ripe old age of 20. Um, he has <laughs> no what idea what he, he has no idea what he's talking about when it comes to this stuff. Like, he would say things to me, and I'm just like, dude, you don't get it. That's not how it is in reality. Which you is your why wife I, in college, which is, which why is why I fine. Felt bad. There's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, like, so I feel bad asking that question, especially the way we worded it. That was kind of, it was intentionally mean. But as a single pastor, though, like, I constantly had people asking me about, oh, are you, are you dating anybody? Or, and they, they literally would try to hook me up with their nieces and their granddaughters and all these people. That, and it was just crazy. But I can't imagine, I was just a youth pastor. Like, I can't imagine being a lead pastor, being single. So that's got to be rough. <laughs> yeah, it has its interesting moments. <laughs> I'll, I'll yeah. give it that. So, and I even though, about... like, Paul talks about scripture, like, if you have to get married, get married. But if you can be single and just focus on working for Christ, do that. We as the church say, well, you clearly can't be happy without a spouse. So, like, it's a weird dynamic that's just... I don't know. It's just weird to me. That awkward. We have to. Like, they think everyone has to be married to be happy. Mm-hmm. It just makes so. for awkward conversations after church in four years where it's like, okay, thank you for praying for that from what I've been told. Especially honestly... when you don't even realize that they're trying to set you up with somebody. That happened to me a couple times. Mm-hmm. Other people were around and I didn't even pick up on it. I'm like, oh, my niece just moved back to town. You should... And like, I've also done a lot of young adult ministry. So I was like, I don't know. Like sometimes I just, it was way over my head. And mm-hmm. people would be like, I can't believe she tried to set you up with her niece. I'm like, really? I missed it. Like, cause <laughs> I just tuned it out. So, cause it was so frequent. So like that was, yeah, it, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I think you like, anytime you're a pastor, you have to have a thick skin. <laughs> when you're a single pastor on top of that, you really have to have a thick skin because people just, um, they just invade your privacy without even realizing <laughs> that they're invading your privacy. So, man. Well, moving on to less uh, maybe terrible. <laughs> that should be the still... worst question we have. So, <laughs> it should get better from here. But I do apologize. That was that was mean. So, uh, second question. Well, we haven't established this yet, but just for for clarity's sake, um, I know this about you, but you are bivocational, right? That is correct. And can you just tell us your other job uh, that is the money-making side of your life so I can ask this next question so it makes more sense? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I am a Starbucks barista. So, as a barista, and obviously as a millennial, you obviously have a correct way of making coffee. And there is obviously <laughs> an incorrect way, right? Am I, so am I right? Um, according to Starbucks, yes. So then personally for yourself, when you go home, is there a way that you make coffee? And if you go to someone else's house, you're like, yeah, I'm not about to drink that. Uh, they don't make it the right way. I am pretty okay with anything that has caffeine in it. So Seriously? Seriously. I mean, I, I like to add the like frou-frou stuff, like, you know, like creamer and sugar, <laughs> all that stuff to it. But if it's, if it's just black, I'll, I'll drink it. You know, so you don't have like the pour over Chemex fancy like. I have press. It. <laughs> oh, I have you have it. it. But nine times out of ten, I'm too lazy in the morning to do it. So. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Fair enough. So that's like a half. You're like half millennial as far as your coffee uh, snobbery, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess I could definitely like, I guess turn up the millennial, um, when I'm wanting something like super fancy, and, okay. and do the pour over and. 
you know, grind my own beans by hand and, you know, bake them in the oven, that sort of thing. <laughs> fair enough. So you can live up to it. All right. Fair enough. All right. All right. But I'm most of the time just lazy. <laughs> I, I feel that. Well, that's also a millennial thing, apparently, because no one's ever been lazy until we were around. Okay. <laughs> Um, next, so on that same note, how many pictures of coffee do you currently have in your phone? How many pictures of coffee? Yeah, like for social media. Like how often do you take a picture of your coffee? How many do you have like currently? I took, I have taken one picture, and I know this for a fact. I've taken one picture of a cup of coffee in the last two and a half years because it was shortly after I moved in. And I have this gigantic coffee cup that holds like eight cups of coffee. And I was unpacking and I took a picture of my coffee cup saying, it's going to be a long day. I need all of this. And that's okay. I think, the last time I took a picture of my coffee. Are, are you even a barista? Because I thought it was like a rite of passage that you had to do like the latte art with the milk foam and then post it on your Instagram every day or something. Uh, yeah, I'm not millennial then. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well then, side question then. Do you take pictures of your food and other things to post to the gram? <laughs> no. That's not okay, at all. Do I. I never I'm... have either, so that, that's fine. I, just... I don't understand it. I think it's, I think it's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> well i guess i guess you're not a millennial in that aspect and that's okay the last okay so the last time i took a picture was i went out to a korean restaurant with some friends and it was a really nice dinner and it was i'd never had that food before so but i didn't i don't think i posted it i think i just took it for myself <laughs> <laughs> did you frame uh, it uh no, because I'm a terrible picture taker, but um, it was more of just to kind of capture the memory, I think. Fair That's enough. Fair. Okay, yeah. this next one is going to still be in the coffee vein and the stereotypical millennial vein. Mm-hmm. Do you look forward to fall just because pumpkin spice everything? No, I no, I don't like pumpkin spice. I mean, let's flush it out a little bit. Is it because Starbucks or is it because always you've not liked pumpkin spice? It's because of Starbucks. It's it's ruined me. Once upon a time. (laughs) Once upon a time, was it different? Did you like pumpkin spice a little more? Once upon a time, yes. I would probably go at least once a fall and get my pumpkin spice latte. But now everything smells like pumpkin. Do you come home smelling like pumpkin spice? Oh, definitely. Yeah. That would ruin it for me. Covered in it, actually. There's just by the time you get off of of work, there's just this sheen of of sticky (laughs) and coffee grime from coffee beans, and it's just yeah, (laughs) over it. (laughs) That's fantastic. I can support. I mean, I can I can vouch for that. My wife also works at Starbucks. Oh yeah. And she, her, like, aprons are disgusting, and her shoes have stuff all over. Like, it's gross. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't I like not... coffee anyway, though. So, like, the smell of coffee is not my thing anyway. But, like, yeah. yeah, she washed her apron. Like, this weekend, we washed her apron. She goes, it still smells like coffee. It's like, yeah. Like, it, you get coffee on it every week. <laughs> like, that's right. what happens. Yeah. Which is funny. I didn't realize um, before working there, because I always had this, like, I guess maybe stereotypical ideal of what a barista would look like with like the cute little neck scarf and like the <laughs> fancy boots and, you know, wearing the leggings and the LuLaRoe, whatever. And 
um, looking super cute while making coffee. And I just feel like I'm a walking gross slob the whole time that I'm there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, all right. Next question. (laughs) Well then that's pretty millennial actually. Scarf (laughs) is apparently a millennial thing, but okay. (laughs) So this past winter, um, how many times did you use essential oils to treat your colds or flu or other sicknesses? Oh, goodness. Um, I use peppermint oil a lot. Yeah, she's a millennial, dude. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that's, that pretty much qualifies you anyway right there. That, okay. That's pretty much the only thing that I use, but um, I actually use it to treat headaches, and it works half decently. So you know? you're, not like, you're not like a dealer of this stuff or anything. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> dealing some peppermint on the side uh, right you don't sling peppermint oil on the corners than i am oh my so, goodness yeah straight up baby boomers they're like here try this oil try that oil this will cure whatever so, sounds right <laughs> yeah well speaking uh, of needing to have a thing cured um how are you as a millennial coping with the whole listeria avocado thing I mean, are you braving it? Are you still are you still gonna try and eat the avocados even though it might kill you, <laughs> or what? Um, yeah. So I don't like avocados. Oh my goodness! It's another one, Byron. My people, I'm telling you, we're out here. Hate we are. Yep. I don't like. Okay, so here's my experience with avocados. Everyone says that they're so great. So I put whatever it is, guacamole or avocado spread or whatever it is i put it on my plate do the exact same thing that they're doing i taste it and i'm so disappointed every single time (laughs) i mean it's slimy and just gross i don't get it yeah yeah guacamole is a little bit better because there's other things in it but it's still i don't like it but like just avocado spread or avocado on something it's just uh, that's nasty i don't get it yeah, I, it, to me, it reminds me, maybe it's a textural thing, but it reminds me of, like, that paste, that, like, flour paste that you would make as a kid from, like, art projects at school. <laughs> oh, great. That'll be in my brain next time I eat it. <laughs> Sorry. I'll probably be able to get past it. Spread that on your toast. So. so, So, for real, me and my wife did have a talk, like, are we getting avocados this week? And she, being the nurse, said, no. Nah. And since she's also pregnant, the listeria thing's actually kind of a big deal. Like you don't want to yeah. play with that when you're when you're pregnant. But we regularly have at least four to six avocados on on demand at any given well, time. Well, so, so we do know we don't have to send our thoughts and prayers to Anna about the avocado situation. So we're good there. So yeah, the struggle I'll some other way, not from listeria. <laughs> so the the struggle is not real for Anna and Byron because they don't struggle with not having avocados because that's a way of life for them. It's true. Exactly. All right. Next question. What is the last participation? Per, uh, I can't say it. Participation trophy you quote unquote won. The last participation trophy that I won. Hmm. Does getting a master's degree count? <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it depends on who you ask. Because I kind of feel like that was my participation trophy. You paid all this money. You wrote all these papers. 
Here's your That's award. a lot of money and a lot of participation to get that one award, but I mean, I, know. I can I see know. why you could call it that. That's a little depressing for those <laughs> out there with who's, who have, you know, extra degrees and whatnot, but I get where you're going with it. So she's also uh, another one of those far more educated with us. So just, just to keep it co- consistent, if you say big words, Anna, since we didn't go to seminary, you will have to kind of define them in much more. Yeah, we're dumb dumb. So, so. Well, that shouldn't be a problem because I was usually the one in class asking how how that would be described better because I didn't understand the word either. So, awesome. <laughs> we're good. We're good. I won't use any. I promise. <laughs> oh, perfect. All right. Well, this is your next question. Since you're a millennial and you're generally entitled as a result from all of these trophy winnings in quotes, um, has this set you up for failure when it comes to hashtag adulting? Hmm. I, I don't know. I feel like I definitely have those days where I just don't adult. <laughs> and, I think, and I think like being single, I, I kind of get away with it more than like people who are married or people who have, you know, married and kids sort of thing. Because, you know, if, if I come home from work and I don't feel like making dinner, I don't, I eat a bowl of cereal <laughs> or, right. you know, like, I don't, I don't know. So maybe I'm not adulting. Maybe it's, it's probably all in the eye of the beholder. Cause I think when, when people say this adulting thing, it's essentially like, wow, life is hard when you have to work and come home and the, condescending responses yeah everyone works hard get over it stop complaining about life or whatever so the whole adulting thing is i think born of this you know oh things are hard and i have to actually work for them and older generations making fun of us for that so and also the fact that you can take community college classes to do basic things like you know balance a checkbook and sew buttons on shirts And I need to Google how to boil an egg. Yep, exactly. (laughs) All right. Well, speaking of hashtags, how often do you bust out the old gem hashtag blessed? So I'm coming to the conclusion that I'm not a millennial. (laughs) I don't tweet. So I don't hashtag. You could technically use hashtags on other things, though. But, yeah, I get what you're saying. It's mostly on Twitter. Oh, you can? Oh, I didn't know that. I thought it was just a Twitter thing. No, you can use it on Instagram. You can use it on Facebook. You can use it in a lot of different settings now. It's been – I think it may be – But that being said, based on what you just said, I'm assuming you're not a millennial either just because you didn't know you could (laughs) use hashtags other places. (laughs) Well, it's not one who uses a lot of social media. Yeah, yeah. I think I kind of just missed the social media curve. Like, like Facebook had already come out, like, after I was already graduated from college. And so it was like I got on board, like, in, like, 2009, 2010. So I feel like I kind of missed it. And I've never understood Instagram. And Twitter just seems like a pain to have to try and consolidate your words into 147 characters. Well, they rolled it out to, like, 200 and... They doubled it. it. Yeah. How did I miss this? It it's deal. relatively recent. It's recent. Uh, Ish. Now I'm going to have to learn a whole new thing now. 
Thanks. <laughs> so the short answer is never. You have not used hashtag blessed. <laughs> no, I guess not. Okay, fun final question. I think we'll get you with this. And to be, let's see, I think we got you on like maybe one or two other things that could be Well, like the first one was like loaded. Uh, so that counts. Yeah. And you use, essential, mean... you use essential oils. So that's two. That's you, two. Can, you can also maybe have the coffee snobbery dialed in if you want to. Right. But So you're like three-ish, maybe, which isn't – I don't know if that's the lowest that we've had, but I, we'll get our interns on it, and we'll, we'll find out later. So, But final question, and I think we'll get you on this. So this will be like four-ish. <clears throat> and this is just the general – you have a smartphone, <laughs> and you do this, and this – again – this is very rude. I'm going to ask it the way I ask it. Then I'll unpack it for you. If, unless you want to just react. Just like, uh, but basically, the last question, Anna, is do you know anything? <laughs> okay. Here, here, let me give you context. Yes. This question is geared at millennials and young people because we're the first adopters of things like smartphones. And we're the first adopters of things like Google. And so now the critique is that we don't actually know how to do anything. Just like Byron said in the last question, like we have to Google something as basic as how to boil an egg. So basically the question is, do you know how to do stuff or do you basically have to Google things all day? Um, I don't Google stuff all day, but like, yeah, like I do. So like I had to change out the battery in my car a couple of weeks ago and I didn't know how to do that so i googled how to change out a car battery but that's kind of legit i guess in my opinion that's 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 kind of legit there's plenty of people that wouldn't even attempt that even with google's help yeah but i'm i'm single so (laughs) i suppose that's fair but well i think there's also like you're also a female which in our culture even when we were kids like like i don't know much about cars i can do basic things like change the oil change a battery I've changed brakes before, um, but, like, as a man, like, I've had people call me like, hey, can you come help me fix my car? No, no, I cannot. I don't know anything about cars. <laughs> call somebody else, bro. Sorry, I can't help you. But as a female, I don't think in our culture you're supposed to know how, and even if you did, it would actually might be even problematic for some people, like, that you know how to do it, which is weird, but I think that's accurate. Well, and what I was kind of getting at is a lot of people, and it's not male or female, really, it's just I, I see this, they'll just have the dealer deal with it or the mechanic deal with it, right? They'll just, even if it's, in this, this is the sad truth, even if it's probably so much cheaper for them to figure it out themselves, out of fear of screwing it up, they'll just fork over the extra money to have someone else who is a professional do it. So, yeah. but, Well, and that being said, if you buy a new battery at any auto parts store, they'll replace it in your car for you for free. Just saying. Yeah, you, but I mean, you have to get your car jumped and you have to get that. <laughs> what was that? I wasn't about to push my car all the way there. So. Well, that's you have to you have to get a jump and get your car there. They can right. test your battery, make sure it's the battery, not something else. But if you can get to one of those, almost all of them will replace it for you for free. You don't have to go to a mechanic. Right. But right. you know. But hey. You did it though. You you Googled it. You figured it out. You got it done yourself. That's awesome. And YouTube, I was able to figure out how to do it. Um, but yes, yeah, so I don't, I don't think I like Google a whole lot of stuff. Ooh, I don't know. 
Maybe well, so <laughs> the point of this, the point of this is to confront stereotypes that a lot of times are completely fabricated or rooted in some sort of exaggerated perspective. Because if you really look at internet usage, boomers use the internet more than millennials now, and some oh, of that ha- yeah. has to has to do with like retirement age and, and that sort of a thing, and still you know being uh, able to to just deal with the technology changes or, or whatever. But things like Facebook are the stats are kind of crazy, mostly boomers. I mean, they use it more than almost any age group. So it's just, it's just going full circle back to the reason why we have this game is to, uh, to completely address and confront some of these stereotypical ways. It's really easy for us. Um, and then we, just with every guest, we try to belittle you to a stereotype that obviously does not actually explain who you are. It just writes you off, right? That's all a label does is it just writes a person off and it creates this thing out of them that's not really a person and it devalues their humanity. But when we actually get to know you and know what Anna is about and why Anna does the things that Anna does, then Anna becomes a person again instead of a stat or a label or a thing that annoys us, yada, 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 which is basically how I see a lot of the the stereotyping towards millennials playing out. It's like these annoying young people that do these dumb things we don't get. Let's just call them this, that, or the other and just blah, 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 blah. But so, anyways, you survived it, though. Uh, are you mad at us, or can we continue the podcast? Uh, yeah, I'm not mad. We're we're good. We're good. <laughs> well, I still good. feel bad, though. I'm not gonna. That first question was mean, but <laughs> it was so, for a reason, though. So sure. to round, so to round out, getting to know Anna and not just the stereotype of a millennial, um, <laughs> can you give us just a brief uh, summary, a little bit more about? your education, how you got into ministry and your experience in that and what has led to you being this unicorn, single female millennial lead pastor. Yeah. You want the long version or the short version? I mean, <laughs> you can give us what you got. So. Podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. It's as long as it is. That's how long it normally is. So, so I, okay. Uh, so I didn't grow up in the Nazarene church. Um, I went to a, a, a church that um, was very similar in beliefs to the Nazarenes, but um, not totally. Um, and uh, ended up going, graduating from high school, going off to college, um, got my undergrad in sociology, and was planning on going more of like a social work track ended up working at a camp ministry as the program director there for a few years, loved it, um, but just got really burnt out um, in ministry really quickly. It was a Christian ministry that worked uh, with a lot of at-risk um, children and youth and just day in, day out, um, uh, just, yeah, just just not a good ministry context. Um the kids were great. The program was great, but uh, I learned a lot of things about Christian leadership um, and that particular environment that uh, a lot of times how not to be a good leader. And um, in the process of experiencing that, just got really burned out and actually almost completely walked away from my faith for, um, for a little bit because of that experience. Ended up going to a Nazarene church just kind of by default because uh, that's where just a bunch of my friends were going at the time. And they were talking about this thing called sanctification and um, 
and something clicked for me at that point. And um, so I found out more about the Nazarenes um, and started attending um, pretty regularly there. And then um, got this call to preach. Uh, I was sitting on my bedroom floor one morning doing my devotions and it was like God just smacked me upside the head and said, I've called you to preach. And I said, ha ha, really funny, God, I don't believe in women preachers. <laughs> and, <laughs> so you, um, that was your response, is that you that didn't believe women? That was my women. response, yeah. And, um, and just kind of was like, okay, whatever. Like, I was still really kind of recovering from being in that um, burned out state um, of experiencing ministry. And so I just kind of wanted nothing to do with ministry of any kind at that point and especially in any sense of like preaching or pastoring like I was really uncomfortable with that idea and it just wouldn't go away and so <laughs> I uh, called the pastor at the Nazarene church where I was attending and I at that point I didn't actually know where the Nazarene stood on women preachers I just assumed that they weren't okay with it which I don't even know why I assumed that because the youth pastor was a woman but in my mind I think I was just replacing her title with with director I guess even though she was called a pastor but in order to make sense to me I think I just kind of viewed her as more of just like a director or a leader rather than a pastor and so I called up the pastor and we met and I just kind of waltzed into his office and was like so I don't believe in women pastors and I feel like God's calling me to preach and I can't say yes I don't know what to do and he just kind of smiled and invited me to sit down and he said well um, we do believe in women pastors and if God has called you to preach then you need to be obedient and that just kind of set me off on on about a three-year journey of just really unpacking um, my own theology and um and relearning, I guess you could say, uh, what, what God viewed me as, um, as first of all, his creation and uh, being created in his likeness uh, and that he had called me for such a time as this and this time in this place. And so um, eventually I said, okay, well, I'll start taking district classes and see what this is all about. I still wasn't convinced that I was supposed to preach I I thought well maybe I can like teach or like lead like small groups that sort of thing and um, so I started the district licensing process and through the district licensing process was encouraged by um, by two individuals um, who I consider part of the mentors who have helped me along the way um, they encouraged me to go to seminary and started opening doors for me um, with they knew um, to get me to Kansas City and ended up in Kansas City and um, the first two years I was there uh, people would ask me so you're here to be a pastor and I'd say no I'm here to learn how to preach <laughs> at that point even after going to seminary for the first year and a half <laughs> I really struggled with the idea of being a pastor and um, while I was in seminary ended up getting called to a, a church there in Kansas City as the children's pastor and by then I had kind of like warmed up at least to the idea of being a, like a children's pastor, like a under pastor. You know? <laughs> like you're allowed to do that. Right, exactly. <laughs> like the 
this was me negotiating with God. Okay. And so, um, like, so I became the children's pastor there for um, two years. And then I went to the Wesleyan women's holiness convention. Um, that is all of our sister denominations that believe in women in ministry. And, uh, just kind of had a not knock out, knock down, drag out, um, kind of fight with God about being called the pastor. And um, God was just like, why are you still fighting me on this? And I was like, I don't know. I don't want to do it. It was pretty much what it came down to and walked away from that weekend, called my senior pastor and said, God's calling me to be a lead pastor. What do I do? And he said, well, let's take the next step. And so, um, so my third mentor under his leadership, he was able to kind of lead me along and help me prepare. And a little over a year later, I was called to interview at the church that I'm at now. So, man, that's pretty, that's pretty unique. Cause you kind of didn't think that what God was calling you to do was something God could call you to do. And you just had yeah. an, ident- an identity crisis throughout your entire calling essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And it was almost like this whole thing of like, okay, well, God, I'll give you just this little bit, you know, and, and the amazing thing about God is that God is so gracious with us. He is so patient. There are times when he just kind of smacks us upside the head, but more often than not, he allows us to grow into that grace that we need to be able to say the next yes. And um, I just have found that experience with God to be, to be so gracious to me, to allow me to grow into that understanding of who he was calling me to be and allowing me to fight with him about it. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and he's, he's a big enough God to be able to handle that. And it doesn't get him upset or flustered, you know. Um, he knew my heart was in the right place. I was wanting to be obedient. I was wanting to seek the Lord. And um, he was willing to, to, to fight with me through those things and to not leave me damaged. Um, from those fights, but to leave me empowered and encouraged and, um, and to help open my eyes to the next thing that he was leading me to. So, so yeah, that's so that's, awesome. that's my story. So, well, I guess, we're, yeah, we're going to dive. Yeah. We're going to dive more into your unicorn status here in a second. Um, before we do though, we, we ask all of our guests the same questions and they're all about church. So let's talk about that first, and then we're going to come back to your current unicorn status. Does that sound good? Sure. Okay. We like to ask all of our guests, particularly because most of them are millennial, despite the whole stereotype game thing, the point is that you're defined by being born in a certain window of time, and that's the only real designation for millennial. And even that is up for debate. Some people say you have to be between this one and this one. Hard line on it. If you were born between 1982 and 1996, you are a millennial. But then there's all these caveats to that. If you were born right in 82, you could maybe be this exennial thing. Or if you're born in 81 or 80, or if you're born in 97, you know, 98, 99, there's just all this nonsense that we could spend a lot of time in. But statistically speaking, our generation has had the most mass exodus from faith communities or churches. We're going to talk about your church context. We're going to talk about um, 
some more about what you're doing currently in ministry and some of the life you've led in, in church circles. But before we do that, like we do with all of our guests, we need to hear from you, Anna. What is church? So in your own words, what would you, what would you say? How would you define it? Um, I think I would de- define it at this point in my life as a group of people who gather together to worship God and to encourage one another. Okay. Again, the, the trend you do fit very clearly within. There's never really any mention of a, a structure or a building in your definition, which seems to be very, very, uh, I, I don't know, a trendy. I, it's not really a trend. It's just that seems to be what's happening with all of our young people. That's their answer. It never has to do with a, a, like a physical location. It's always about people. So, so then my next question, as with our other guests, and you sort of touched on this. Have you thought about leaving? Or maybe the better way to ask this is, what has kept you as a part of this faith community? Like, what has prevented you from leaving? Um, I think I would have to say that the number one reason why I haven't walked away from the faith, um, even when I considered it there for a few months when I was just really at a, at a bad point in my life, um, were the people who were invested in me and their faith kind of carried me through those times. Um, they were willing to talk with me about some really hard things and, and listen. And, um, and even in the midst of the questioning and the anger and the frustration, um, both with my individual faith and then, I guess you could say the church at large, um, you know, different issues of hypocrisy or uh, moral failings or, you know, you name it, you know, I've been in a church that seems to have experienced pretty much all of it. Um, and so just kind of losing faith in the institution of church, um, but having people who are willing to kind of talk through those things and just keep pointing me back to, um, back to the scriptures. Um, and saying, well, you know, even the first century church had some issues. Like, what do you expect? Like, we're kind of made up of, of people who are kind of a mess and we're all finding God together and it's going to get messy sometimes. Um, so there was, there was definitely grace in that and in their belief and just kind of um, them, you know, just pointing me back to that and pointing me back to, you know, a God who loves us and is willing to wrestle with us in, in those issues and will meet us where we're at. And so I, I, I think the number one reason why I stayed in the church was because there were people who were in the church who were willing to walk with me through those questions and not just dismiss them, not just tell me outright that I was wrong, um, but allowed me to struggle, but also allowed me to struggle safely. Um, and to do it in a way that um, didn't, you know, cause me to become rebellious, um, but allowed me to ask and, and ponder and be angry and, you know, but to do that in a way that uh, that allowed me to... Valid- <laughs> it, like, validated you, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, and, like, you know, I'd say, I'd be like this is wrong in the church. And they're like, you're right. That is wrong in the church. And I'm like, 
oh, I wasn't expecting that response, you know, like, (laughs) and so like by them not, by them not trying to dismiss it or downplay it or, you know, just ignore it, um, it, it created that dialogue that I needed to kind of work through those issues and, and come away with the faith that was stronger um, because of it. Awesome. So then what's the best part if, if there's something different besides these people that, that were meaningful relationships, what's the best part about church for you? Um, I think it, I think it's definitely anchored in the relationships and, you know, being able to just allow people to explore who God is and to, to watch God show up in their life. To me, that is Mm -hmm. the most awesome thing ever. And when God called me to preach and then when God called me to be a pastor, God knew it. God was doing (laughs) because that is the thing when I feel like I can't get out of bed and can't adult for the day (laughs) that's the thing you know um you know God just whispering well what if I show up in someone's life today you don't want to miss it you know and so that's the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning some days um is just knowing that God is at work and and that he's called me to be a part of that work and just what an honor and a privilege and a, a sacred, um, a sacred treasure that that is to be a part of. So, so yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. I would say it answered my question and final question, which, which will maybe set the stage for, for more details about who Anna is in your context currently in, in being a unicorn, um, do you think there are things that need addressing or fixing in the church? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so short answer, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, if you have an example, you feel free to share it. So. Uh, how long do we have again? <laughs> <laughs> So you're, am I right in assuming that you're having a hard time picking the first thing to share? Yeah. Well, and, and here's the thing. What, I, what I'm realizing, um, the more I reflect on that question, because that's come up a, a couple of times recently um, in different conversations that I've had with people, is the concerns that I had as a lay person. Um, and as I was even starting off on my journey in, in becoming, um, becoming a minister, it, that has shifted the concerns that I had then, some of them are the same. Um, like the church being a place of, of authentic worship, the church being a place where um, the hypocrisy just isn't there. <laughs> um, you know, those yeah. types of things. Um, but I'm finding more and more that um, the longer I'm a pastor, the more my concerns are changing, I guess you could say. Um, hmm. and, and I think sometimes my critique is, uh, more lenient in some areas that maybe when I was a lay person, I was pretty harsh about. Um, and also now on, on the flip side of that, there are some things that I, I see more clearly, I think, because of being on this side of the equation. And hmm. and I wish that the church would be held more accountable too. So, so yeah, there, well, there's a lot of them. <laughs> Well, and in some ways, you just existing are part of the, I guess, 
in, in an interesting way, the addressing of some of the things you might have issue with, I suppose. So w- we said we were going to come back and maybe this will shed light on some of what you're <laughs> alluding to. Mm-hmm. We said we we're going to come back to your current context. So can you just in a nutshell, um, as much as you want to unpack this, just tell us what happened as far as the steps, the process to get you into your current pastoral position? Like what, what, uh, what led to that? How, how did you become the lead pastor? Yeah. So I was actually called by my home district, uh, which is the Eastern Michigan district. And um, the DS called me while I was finishing out my last semester of seminary and um, had this church in mind. And we emailed back and forth a few times and I I was really wanting to do more of like an associate's position rather than like a lead pastor position. Cause I was thinking, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can feel that. <laughs> I gotcha. And, and I was actually kind of shocked because, um, the, cause I had been a children's pastor and then I had did, done one year of associate pastoring, but it was really more of like a, I just kind of coordinated volunteers is what I really did um, and helped in a couple other areas, but it definitely wasn't like I'm preparing to be a lead pastor, you know? <laughs> so, um, so when I, when we started that conversation of, well, where do you feel like God's calling you and, you know, and him putting out this idea of being a lead pastor I, after so I was just like, Oh my goodness. I, I don't know. Like I, I just, didn't feel comfortable with it, but um, I thought, well, at least go through the process because it's good experience. It'll kind of prepare you for when you are ready. Uh-huh. And so, <laughs> so go through the interview just for fun. Right. Just it's essentially, yeah, interview. just kind of like, like that. Okay. I feel like I don't have enough tools. So this is, this is a tool that I can use, you know, further down the road. So um, ended up coming out in, well, we did the, the Skype interviews first and then uh, of course. ended up coming out and spending, uh, spent the weekend and um, uh, met with the board. They actually had a dinner on the Saturday that I was here. Um, so I met the congregation and then I preached that next day, which was Sunday. And then um, the DS met with the board and um, got an opinion from the board. And then he said, we want to appoint you to this place, um, which meant that the congregation itself had no vote. And I thought I was coming. So that's been interesting. Uh, so wait, to explain that further. So you're appointed, which means there's reasons for appointing and they, they didn't think you were being appointed then or what? Yeah. So this has been a small congregation for a while. So they had had pastors that had been appointed previously, but I don't know how the previous appointments had taken place, but for some reason, many people in the congregation were under the impression that they would be able to vote. And um, there was no vote by the congregation <laughs> at large, um, which I'm kind of glad because uh, after I arrived, I found out that quite a few of them were pretty unhappy that um, I was called here, I think namely because I, I am a woman. Um, 
I was going to ask, is it because you're a woman? Uh, yeah, so I had this really interesting conversation with um, one older gentleman, which uh, the vast majority of my congregation is older. Um, and, you know, he is in like his late 70s, early 80s, somewhere in there. And he leaned over to me and he said, I just want you to know I've never had a woman pastor before. And I could tell like that was really even hard for him to admit and so I leaned over and I whispered back to him. I said, that's okay. I've never been a lead pastor before. And like, <laughs> so we just kind of laughed. And like, it seemed like that just kind of acknowledged the elephant in the room that like, I probably wasn't what they were hoping for. <laughs> I probably wasn't yeah. what they were expecting, but here I am. <laughs> <laughs> So you were appointed, and there's a whole bunch of reasons a, a DS can choose to appoint yeah. a pastor to a church. Yeah, right? which I would um, recommend that you refer to the manual um, for that, because there is quite the list. Our church qualified, according to that list, I think for all of them but one. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So so there's a bunch There's a bunch of fun reasons that they could qualify. Basically. Yeah. So in, in our, our church hit most of them, so... <laughs> So, um, so I was appointed. Um, now the board, when the DS went around, he did ask each board member, and I did have unanimous approval by the board themselves. So I that's that, helpful, that, at least. Yeah, that that <laughs> was helpful, and I think that shows the wisdom of of my DS, and that he was willing to hear from the board themselves, and to use you know to hold them accountable to that as well. So huh. um, I do appreciate. They have some buy-in. They have some ownership of it. So. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because for like the less Nas nerdy who aren't going to look up the manual and and again, I, I'm going to try to say this as tactfully as possible. If a pastor is appointed, that often means that the church might have some issues. Right. I, I'll make it as vague a term as that. Like it just is struggling. Perhaps it has some some issues that need addressing. And a lot of times it can be the size or it can be financial or it can be other issues that can come up. So if you're not a NAS nerd and you don't know what the manual even is, that's kind of what that's about. But the thing that, I mean, that irks me though, because you're not the first person on this podcast that has found themselves in their first pastorate and it's been an assigned position. Mm -hmm. And the reason it irks me is probably twofold. First, that that's like, Hey, welcome to ministry. Here's a very difficult situation as your first good luck sort of a circumstance and then this the second thing is that i don't always see that validated by some of the more established pastors i suppose and and this isn't everybody but i've had enough frustrating interactions where i'll say something about man this was more difficult than i thought and it's kind of dismissed like yeah of course it's more difficult like we all start out young. We all start out somewhere. It's not a big deal. But the more I kind of flesh out those conversations, um, the trend is a lot different now than it was once upon a time. I mean, the biggest age group of clergy age-wise in this denomination is 65 plus, which means, you know, like 40 years ago, 60s or 70s, a big, huge chunk of those pastors were becoming lead pastors out of seminary. In, in a number of churches and just mathematically and based on some common sense assumptions, they weren't all being appointed. It was maybe more common 
for a young pastor to be um, an option for a church that wasn't so risky. Because now the thing that happened for me, and maybe this is the same for you. And I was like, oh, wow, why'd they hire a young pastor? They must have issues. <laughs> that's kind of the, that's the, that's the assumption. And so you have all these young pastors coming into some difficult, not that, you know, bigger, more established churches don't have difficult issues at all, not to belittle any other pastoral situation. But when you're possibly sending most of your brand new rookie pastors into some of the more tough, difficult situations, ministerially speaking, what is that, what is that doing to that whole generation of pastors? I mean, it's kind of, it's sad, especially if you consider the dropout rate of brand new seminarians going into ministry how many of them leave i i can't remember the exact stat but you were there when when we were told at the cohort something like one out of three will leave the ministry out of out of after a year or something like that yeah i i don't remember the exact statistics but i remember thinking i remember being shocked by the number and i remember thinking back to all of the people that i sat in classes with and just removing how true yeah, and just thinking, oh my goodness, like, how are we going to lead the church with so few people? <laughs> yeah, Byron and I were pondering that too, our graduating class. I don't know if it's, you know, one out of three, but we've graduated a long time ago and we didn't actually go to seminary. But it just seems to be a, a different a different climate now where there's... <laughs> And this is what I refer myself uh, to myself as like a small church is only going to get a young pastor um, because they're the bargain bin pastor. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, is that, that's a, that's a sentiment you share. I, I think there, there definitely can be an element as part of that. I know, and I don't know what every small church situation is, but I know that with my particular context, we're a small community to begin with. I'm kind of in in rural Michigan, like a lot of farm country out here. We're in a, I'm kind of located near a city, kind of. Um, it thinks <laughs> it's a city. It's really not. But um, so, so we have like, like just, it's a small church to begin with. So we average, I think on my API report, I think 31 was our average <laughs> this last year. So yeah. So, yeah, woohoo! Um, we only dropped by one from the previous year, so um, <laughs> so slow decline, right? Um, so we only have thirty to begin with, and um, out of that, I think I only have like like four working couples. The rest are all retirees, um, huh. and most of them are widows, so they're living off of like their husband's pension and social security, <laughs> you know, Man. Uh, like in my particular context, they were, they can't afford a full-time pastor. So I was upfront with them in the interview process. I mean, from, from the first two hours we were sitting down talking face to face, I said, if this is the salary package you're offering me, I will have to work another job. I said, I can't make it on this. And I don't even have student loans. Like I'm one of the few that, that made it out of seminary without student loans. Um, so would it be safe to say that someone with student loans couldn't even entertain oh, taking over yes. the job at your church? Definitely not if they were single. 
if they were married and their spouse was was able to provide some sort of secondary income, maybe, maybe. I mean, even at that, it would depend on if, if how much student loans they had, because I mean, if a significant amount of your, your income is going just towards student loans, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how, how someone would make it honestly, financially, I, I wouldn't be able to crunch the numbers to make them work. But they basically knew that they weren't paying you enough and that you were going to have to be bivocational up front. Yes, up front. Yep. I mean, Byron, did you have a job as a pa- when you were a pastor where you weren't bivocational? Was there ever a time you didn't have to be bivocational? Once, yeah. My last job was full-time, but... But, but the other ones all were bivocational? Oh, yeah. I barely got paid, man, in the first and <laughs> the other ones. So... I mean, I know you got paid like, you know, 20 bucks a week or something once or something crazy like that. $14 a week. I don't even, yeah, I don't even know why they paid me. That was weird. <laughs> At that point, you're but getting so I, much of your taxes taken out. It's like, yeah, I'm actually paying the government to work for your church. <laughs> like I had two Pretty other much. jobs and like, that's where, I mean, I was paying student loans too, but like that job, I couldn't have worked there without living for free. I had a, a guy at the church. Let me live in his house for free. Like it was in Hawaii too. So like without free room, I would, there's no way I could have done it. Right. So yeah, the same for me. I think I had one ministry job where I didn't need to have, and it was only for six months, which is silly. Cause I like, I finally, I finally got the raise that I had been promised for like two years or whatever. Mm-hmm. Not even really promised, but just anticipated because I was not really paid. Uh, livable wage and then for six months I got paid kind of like a normal wage and and the joke is with my wife and then from then on out I kept getting paid less (laughs) so I've I've continued a decline in how much I get paid annually and Mm -hmm. I've always had to have major bivocational um, themes I've always done something else or in our current season of life I am affectionately referred to by my wife as the house spouse because, as Byron lovingly calls her, she's the sugar mama. That's, that's Byron's. You married a in nurse, college. man. That was smart. That's all I'm gonna say. If you're gonna go into ministry, <laughs> I mean, it, you marry it marry someone who can for, make money, and you did. It was smart for reasons that had nothing to do with her being my sugar mama. But yeah, that's fine. Like she's an amazing human being. But um, no, currently we would, I guess, designate it. I, I hear this term used, and I think I understand it co-vocational where caitlin makes the ministry possible like right. you know my wife working funds the the ministry essentially so so i'm home with kids a lot and that's that's the general understanding the board has is hey you can try to get a hold of me i might not answer because i might be you know putting a kid down for a nap or doing the dishes or taking a kid to school but right. but i i see this as a trend in pensions and benefits which is where that number came from the 65 plus the other thing they said, and I'm curious what your thoughts are. I, I don't know if, I don't know if you're wanting to be bivocational or not. But what pensions and benefits is saying in this article that I'm kind of pulling data from is that this is now going to probably become more of the norm. So, I mean, do you like being bivocational? Hmm. <laughs> that's, that's a complicated question. Um, I mean, obviously, it's out of necessity right now, right? right? It's definitely out of necessity right now. And um, I think that I 
think that what I, I would love to be able to just spend every day at the church or in people's homes and just drinking coffee and yeah. living life with them and having, you know, conversations and helping out with their kids or, you know, taking them to the store to buy groceries or, you know, I would love to do that um, if I had a full-time position um, where that was just kind of, okay, well, this is just how you pastor. All right, you know, let's do this. Um, I think that what I would miss if I were full-time is, um, number one, the work environment that I am working in at Starbucks gives a very unique um, mix of people in which you are able to engage with. And um, I think that I would definitely miss that engagement with people who do not identify with the church in any way, shape, or form. And so I think that if I were to be full-time, I would end up maybe not maybe working, maybe not, maybe finding it in, in some other capacity, but definitely finding a way to stay engaged with people who just, church is just not even on their radar. Um, because yeah. that just brings such a unique perspective and um, just, you know, helps, helps me understand the gospel better um, when I see yeah. people who, who don't even have a, a concept of what the gospel is. Yeah. So I think that even if I were full time, I think I would find some other way to engage. I don't know, maybe be a Walmart greeter. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> See, I would well, argue I that, think that it's nice to be bivocational to a point um, because it requires like so we talked with uh, I think it was Mo about how some churches like want you to be in the office for, for eight hours a day. Yeah. And especially for like our generation, that doesn't really do much for us because like what are we doing all day? It seems like we're wasting a lot of time. Um, so being bivocational gives you this situation where like, Oh, well the church isn't paying you enough. So one, it's easier to disagree and say, Mm -hmm. Hey, well you don't pay me full time. So I can't do that. Like this is how my life has to function right now. I need to be understanding of that. But it also puts, like you said, it puts you in a place where you meet new people and it helps us, I think, as pastors, not get focused just internally on your own church. Um, oh, it makes you realize, hey, you know what? There's a lot of people out here who are not church or the gospel hasn't reached them or the church has hurt them in some way. And just by saying, oh, yeah, I'm actually a pastor. One, they they react in, in interesting ways, but mm-hmm. it also <laughs> helps them know that Which not all Christians fun. are crazy. Like, cause there's this idea that American Christians are all insane. And so yeah. like, if they know you for a while, then you go, oh, actually, I'm the, I'm a pastor and I preach every week at this church. They're going to be like, wait a second, you're a Christian and a pastor. Like, but you're not insane. You're not super weird. Or like, like you're an okay person. I can talk to you. That, that changes yeah. things for them. Like it really does open their eyes. Oh, and yeah. It gives us a, a unique way to reach people. Um, also, Ugh. though, it's better, in my opinion, to get paid at least enough from your church that you don't have to rely entirely on other jobs. Um, yeah, definitely. Be because great. then it's just like really hard for you to manage your time and make sure you're doing a good job of ministry. But like, it's not always like I said, the first job I had in ministry, I got paid $14 a week. 
I had two other jobs and that's just how it was. Like I didn't work in the church very often. I, you know, I couldn't because it just didn't make sense. Um, so it just, it's a different situation, but I just feel like that is so embarrassing. Like, I feel like that's, that's an embarrassing reflection on the church that here we are expecting our pastors to have some type of education, maybe not a seminary education, but some type of education. And yet we're, we're only willing to pay them pennies. Like I just, yeah. Like that is such an embarrassment. Like when, when non-church people find out about that, they're, they're angry. And I don't think our church yep. people understand that. They're, they're, sometimes the people outside of the church recognize the hard work that goes into being a pastor, even more so than people within the church. And, and they're angry when they find out that our churches aren't even paying us a living wage. And they just don't understand that. Um, and, and it's sad, really. I, I wish, I long for a day when, when money would not have to be in any of the discussions. <laughs> But Seriously. that will never be the reality. And so we we have to be upfront and honest about those conversations and, and about, you know, hey, if we're not able to offer our pastor a living wage, what are some other ways that we can help out to relieve the financial burden? Can we have, can the church pay for someone to come watch their kids? Can, you know, um, is there some sort of retirement thing that we can do to make sure that by the time they hit 65 and they've been in these tiny little churches their entire career that they actually will not be in poverty you know like i feel like we can just do better but we have to we have to be willing to start with the conversation in an honest conversation about about finances for our pastors okay i'm off the uh, box <laughs> well and you, I, I was gonna say Obviously, you're preaching to the choir. I could say amen a bunch, but it's going to be, you know, <laughs> selfish amens. It's like, yep, that's right. I agree with that. Yep, yep. Uh, and it just makes me think we were, you know, me and Byron, we talked throughout the week. We're, we're BFFs forever and ever and ever, right, Byron? Like, you're, I'm your favorite person in the world and stuff. And I mean, you never are annoyed with anything I'm, I say. My wife's pretty high up on that list of favorite person ever, but you are my Whatever. best friend. I've been my, my, my longest standing friend, too fifth grade well we mutually put up with each other um but we also uh have regular discussions about significant things and like this past week the struggle i've had has just been i don't have enough time to write a sermon like i don't have enough time to to also you know do hospital visits or to to go and hang out with people and just talk with them about their life or to share a meal with them or to go to coffee like i have to make really frustrating decisions every week where I am eliminating something in my ministerial job duties thing, whatever you want to call it. I am very passionate about doing. So whether it's, you know, I know you're, you, we've talked a little bit, like you just want to teach discipleship. You want to, you, you want to model discipleship. You want to just share these things that you care about. Sometimes the, the frustrating reality in the here and now, which is exactly what you're talking about is you don't have enough time to actually effectively do that. Right. Right. And, and it's not just, I mean, yes, there's definitely the issue of actual time, um, but there's also like energy, like emotional energy, spiritual energy, <laughs> physical energy. Absolutely. You know, uh, <laughs> Starbucks has provided an, an amazing opportunity in many different ways. One of them being 
to be able to have a flexible enough schedule to be able to go in at open and work eight hours and then be able to turn around and have the rest of my day after getting off at two or three o'clock in the afternoon to, to be able to devote to church stuff. But the problem yeah. with that is, is that when you're getting up at four and five in the morning and then working for eight or nine hours a day, you don't necessarily have the physical energy or the emotional energy to turn around and then reinvest in your people all over again. And then, you know, you and no pastor wants to say something that's offensive or to do something that's offensive. But honestly, it's in those moments when we're tired. It's in those moments when we haven't <laughs> ate since 6 a.m. Or, you know, we're running, we're literally running off of a pot of coffee. Um, you know, it's in those moments that we do end up inadvertently saying something or doing something <laughs> that causes offense or, you know, hurts someone's feeling. Or we forget something. That's my biggest thing. I forget something important or what. Oh, all the time. <laughs> Always, every day. Yeah, when people and, take it, as they're so offended by that, too. And, and they don't understand. I'm like, hey, I go work a full time job, and then after that, I go like. So what I used to do uh, at a church I was at, I worked full time, and then every weekday, basically, I would go to Starbucks or somewhere else, maybe my church office, but and like sit down and work on my lessons or whatever I was doing that week or my planning and stuff. And I, I've had pastors who I worked for be mad at me because i couldn't make phone calls for the church during business hours right well you don't pay me so i go to a real job during those times like <laughs> they're the ones who pay my living wage so yeah i'm sorry i couldn't call this uh random place with trampolines about doing some trampoline dumb youth... land yeah like doing some <laughs> dumb youth event that like kids might go to but it's not really discipling them any any form it's just fun which fu having fun is fine but like, you can't get mad at me because I couldn't call them by 5 o'clock because I have a real job that right. actually pays me. Yeah. Like, you right. need to understand that I work basically for nothing or, or actually for nothing, which I have. And, like, I do it after my real job. Like, and not under, people not understanding. And I've had parents, though, who see how much work I put into a youth group, for instance. Same church, actually. Um, I took three weeks off of working my real jobs to do mission trips and camp one year. And they were, they were in a row. And then I took another week off to go to my brother's wedding. So for a whole month in the summer, I didn't work a real job. Wow. I had a, I had a set of parents give me, I can't, I don't even remember how much, but it was several hundred dollars, which, you know, really did help me a ton. And yeah. said, hey, this is this is what we can get you. Like, we'd love to do more, but, like, I know you're not working for three weeks um, for church stuff. And then you take another week off for your brother's wedding and you're flying to California from Kansas City. And, like, we appreciate your sacrifice. Like, I hope this helps you get through this really bad time of having no money. Wow. Like, so some people in the church get it and they right. understand mm -hmm. what you go through. But most of them honestly do not. And yeah. so it makes it hard now going back to like our millennial questions too, like would you be able to do like you, we talked about the, the debt thing. You don't have debt. That's all or student loan debt. Anyway, that's awesome. Um, but if you say, I don't know if you had kids, could you work at this church? Could you be their lead pastor? Uh, I think it would be really difficult. Really, yeah, then really that difficult. changes things. So like you're not getting paid to work there, but like you're expected to do a full-time job basically. But you, you happen to be single and you don't have any children. 
without all of those things, without your unicorn status, as we like to call it on this podcast, you probably wouldn't <laughs> be able to be there at all. I mean, I definitely think that um, if I were to have kids, uh, whether single or not, um, it would definitely would not be a place I'd be able to stay at long term. Um, I've actually thought about fostering um, and at this point in my life where I'm at, there's no way I'd be able to financially sustain even just fostering um, because uh, I, even between working, you know, at Starbucks and here, it's just, it's just not enough income to be, to feel secure enough, I guess you could say. Yeah. Financially Uh, secure enough. Yeah. Huh. It occurs so, to me, Byron, mm-hmm. Byron had some of these, I mean, I, Byron, correct me like normal if I say something wrong, but part of the frustrations and part of the exit from ministry is definitely wrapped up in just the nonsense that happens. But a lot of it too has been just the struggle of surviving financially, right? Yeah. I mean, the only time I've, I was full-time in ministry, I got paid Okay. I lived in Southern Missouri, so things were generally cheap. Like, like rent was super cheap, but like I paid my bills, my loans on time and stuff. And I was surviving, but I wasn't, I didn't have any savings. I didn't have any extra income, but I mean, it's hard when you know, you can get a full-time job somewhere, even if you're doing something like working with special needs people, which does not pay well and still get at least a livable quote unquote livable wage where you're not, you know, you might be struggling still a little bit, but like you could still do good things and in ministry, in my opinion, but I'm not like scraping by every month, you know, struggling to pay my, my loans and all that junk. Mm. It's just, yeah, it's just tough to continue to work for nothing. And then also on top of that, when people demand things from you in the church, (laughs) When they don't pay you or barely pay you, it's hard sometimes to be gracious to them. In my opinion, like my personality wise, sometimes I like to tell people off because they have no idea what they're (laughs) talking about. And I get tired of it all the time. Cause like, like you said earlier, Anna, like they'll say terrible things and don't even realize how terrible or insulting they can be. Um, and it's just bad. Like sometimes in the church, it can be just bad. So Um, yeah, I mean, it's not worth it sometimes. (laughs) And yeah, and I don't, I don't know if you experienced this at all, Byron, but I almost feel like, um, sometimes there's this idea that while you're single, you don't have a family, therefore we don't really need to make sure that you have a decent compensation. (laughs) 100%. That's exactly how, because like when you have a wife or a, a spouse at all, and then kids, like you can lean on that and be like, I can't do this job because I have kids and a spouse. Like I gotta, I gotta take care of my family first. You can lean on that and kind of leverage them, which is kind of terrible to say, but it's true. Um, when you're single, it's just like, well, what do you need money for? You don't have anybody to take care of. And they don't, they don't want to, you know, being, having a livable wage is not really a concern. You're that's totally right. Like it's bad. And I think it it, it uh, extends beyond just a livable wage too. It extends to your time. You know, because again, it's that, you know, well, you don't have a family, you know, you just have a cat and a dog. Like, what are you going to do? Go home and just, you know, (laughs) and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am. I'm going to go home and I'm going to cuddle with my cat and my dog. And like, they need to see me too, you know, (laughs) like. And you need to just have downtime. Right, right. And so it's just like, 
I mean, again, I think it's just one of those things that, I mean, we, we never fully know what someone else is going through unless, you know, we walk a similar path. Um, but just, I, I think the inability of churches to be able to even conceptualize what single pastoring even looks like. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it, a good point. It just really, yeah, it just really, I think it just really throws them for a loop. Oh, well, and I think it goes back to like them thinking that it's wrong in general. Like you should be married. You should be like, (laughs) I believe that they think it's wrong. Like it's not just a, oh, they just don't happen to be married. It's a, something's wrong with you and we're going to fix it. Mm -hmm. That's, that's Mm -hmm. a problem for me in the church. Like we got to get over that and support people in ministry. Who cares if they have kids or don't or single, you know, like if they're called to ministry, we need to support them and put them help them get as far as they can and do the best they can in that situation. So right. I've felt that struggle. I understand. I mean, and I wasn't the lead pastor, so it is different, but yeah, I feel for I don't you think, in that situation. I don't think there's like a clear cut solution. I mean, I, I've never had to experience the single thing, but I have experienced a different version of the, why do we need to pay you? Because like Byron immediately uh, recognized my wife's a nurse. She makes yeah. decent money. So that's the, uh, oh, we don't have to pay you that much. Your wife's a nurse. That's cool. Sweet. Um, and so that's the downside of marrying a sugar mama. I get it. That's not necessarily, <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily my current church's uh, perception. I really don't think that's what they think, but I, I've definitely felt that from other places I've worked mm-hmm. um, to some degree from, and not even necessarily from leadership, but more just from like, you know, a person on the board or like a treasurer or somebody that actually deals with money. You know, I had right. someone that completely begrudged my raise from 150 to $300 a month. Like, we shouldn't oh. be paying you this much money. Right, right. You're kidding me. <laughs> biggest concern, and I think maybe this is where we can end it. Um, and before we do, we'll, we will do this thing called Share the Love Sponsor. Um, but my biggest concern is that we have the potential of losing the Annas. And the Byrons, and maybe we already lost the Byrons, as we've talked on the, on the podcast before, or the, you know, the, the whatever, fill in the blank with the name of a young person, because we put them in such trying situations. And a lot of times they're put in those situations as sort of a sink or swim w- with the sort of sink or swim mentality, like prove yourself or whatever. But what that's really doing to them is showing them the toughest, most difficult ministry issues they're going to face right out of the gate. And it just accelerates burnout so i don't know if there's really like a a shift that's just a oh the denomination could do this and it would fix it or if it's a if only churches would do that that would deal with the problem immediately i don't know if there's that but i am just at at a bare minimum i i feel like we can at least point to this being a very big issue especially when you consider the fact it's not an option it's not like an opinion it's not subjective but in five or 10 years, the largest age group of pastors will probably retire or in, in very realistic terms, possibly just pass away. Yeah. So what will that leave us with when there's not that many Annas or Josiahs to replace them? Hopefully not a bunch of Byrons. So, that'd be bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it'll call Byrons out from or call Byrons off from the bench, from the ministry bench or something like that. But I don't I mean, who knows what that's going to look like? So. I would love your response, but think about it for a second. We're going to do a share the love 
sponsor for a second. In the past, we've we've done some highlights of just things that are cool that we like in ministry. We've talked about various initiatives, uh, companies that are doing good work, just things that we're privileged to be a part of. Um, and today, and I didn't really check with Byron, but as Byron likes to say, I do all the work and he's the talent, so he just gets to deal with it. Yep. Um, it seems appropriate. Seems appropriate for me to kind of share a thing that's near and dear to my heart. Um, as as a bivocational pastor myself, I feel like it's probably worthwhile to just share the love with local churches that have pastors like Anna. Most every small town and even city is going to have a church just like the one Anna or I are at, where maybe they don't have a huge budget, where maybe they don't have the ability to actually 100% finance their pastor's life. And there's a lot of simple but meaningful things that we could do to just make them actually feel loved, feel validated, feel whatever, like Anna was already talking about. Things like, you know, obviously if they have kids, they love free babysitters. They love coffee. They lo- not all of us love avocados, apparently. So don't get Anna. Well, apparently it'll kill her. So let's not do that. <laughs> yeah, that would so be sharing anyways, the love right there. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think it's something. It, it's really easy to get kind of caught up into this mi- mentality of we got to find like the coolest, you know, non sweatshop, uh, trendy thing. <laughs> not nothing against like our just threads share the love thing, but sometimes what doesn't get enough credit is just the small local congregations that are doing good things, but obviously they're not like on the big Jesus TV shows, which I would never want to be on those anyways. But, but all that to say, just being there, just, you know, doing simple things that the Bible says, like tithing, just reading the Bible, just saying, Hey, need help cleaning up the church. Sometimes I'm sure Anna has cleaned up her church more times than maybe a lead pastor should have. Those things would probably go a long way. Hold on, I got something to add to that, actually. Uh, Here's the thing you could do. Never go to your pastor and say, you need to start a ministry where we do this. Um, (laughs) You can go to your pastor and say, hey, I want to start a ministry. This is a group of people I think are not, that we're not being taken care of. I would like support and I'd like some advice, but I want to start a ministry and lead something where we're taking care of these people. Because the second and you, I'll do all the work. Yeah, the second you go to the pastor and say, "Hey, you should do this," they go, "Yeah, I got a lot going on anyway." And by the way, I'm bivocational, <laughs> and I don't necessarily have the passion for that. And then people get mad at the pastor. Stop doing that. If you think something needs to get done, sometimes you got to do it yourself. The the church does not function as one person or like even if you're in a, you could be at a mega church and have like 15 pastors on staff. They can't do it all anyway. You yeah. have to step up and lead. You got to do so it. Do a ministry, do a ministry or just take a pastor out for lunch with no strings attached. Like just take them out to lunch just to actually nourish their body. And that's all your motivation. It just, well, just and tell them that you simple. care about them. You don't have to agree yeah. with everything a pastor does or says, but you can still take it. Like some of the best conversations I've ever had. I had my last church. I had a, a lady who was an older lady. She, she was a widow um, her kids were all in different cities, um, kind of far away. And so she would take me out to lunch about at least like once a month. Mm-hmm. And we'd go to the same restaurant. We'd go get a, this fish company place like, and we'd get some fish and we'd hang out and talk. And she wasn't involved in any of my ministries. She, you know, she had no real reason to, to do this, but she mm-hmm. said, Hey, you're new in town. You don't have a family. Like, 
well, you just go to lunch with me and hang out. We'll talk. And she was awesome. Mm -hmm. She's one of the most encouraging people I I met in that church just because she wanted to spend time with me and get to know me. No strings attached. She bought me lunch. We'd hang out. We'd had a good time. Yeah. And that, and that, I mean, I think you really nailed something there because, you know, as, as a pastor who's being called to a church, you don't always know anybody who lives anywhere even close, you know? Yeah. Um, so you're having to reestablish all new social connections outside of the church as well as inside the church. Um, because we know as pastors that you can't always have the same people who are in the church be your friends. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> so, like... Um, I mean, there are people within the church that can fill that role, but there's always there's always a level of caution that's involved with that. Um, and not that we want it to be that way, but sometimes there just is for various reasons. Um, but that is one of the biggest things I have struggled with um, in since I've been here now almost three years is that I just have not made social connections the way I thought I would the way I've been able to make friends in the past and just struggling with, I don't necessarily have someone who I can be like, Hey, you want to go to the movies? You know, like, and so just, I I had a lady in our church say, Hey, the new Mary Poppins film is out. You want to come join me? And I was like, uh, it's maybe not the movie I would pick, but yeah, I'll go. And we had a great (laughs) time, you know, like it, and it was, it was such a welcome just everything that was going on that particular time in my life anyways, but it was, it was just such a welcomed relief um, just to be able to experience just a normal activity. Um, Yeah. So I I think that just not everybody understands some of those, those things that, that we deal with as pastors. It can be so isolating. Yeah. It can be so isolating. Yeah. So share the love. We're people too. Especially yeah. if you do have so also this is from my my experience as a single pastor, like when you have a new youth or associate pastor or whatever someone move into town, they came from somewhere else, they have no social connections, the first like i don't know at least three months, do not let them go home on a Sunday and not have someone to eat lunch with, yes, like someone needs to take them out every single week, they need to be filling a a calendar full of people inviting him. And it doesn't have to be like, if it's a youth pastor, it doesn't have to be parents with kids in the youth group. Somebody needs to take them out and say, Hey, we're glad you're here. Um, we yeah. want to get to know you. We care about you. Like, it's so awkward to like, try to connect, like, com- like be with these people <laughs> and like be a part of their, their lives, but you don't get to ever share meals with them. Like you go home after Sunday and you're like, okay, well I don't have any money cause I had to move recently. And I don't get paid much. <laughs> I guess I'll have a sandwich and sit here and maybe watch TV or play a video game until youth group or whatever else you got going on. Like, they shouldn't have to be spending meals alone, especially on a Sunday afternoon. Everybody's going yeah. out. The to best the shout kids. out. Just take care of people. The best metaphor I heard, and this can be another shout out or share the love thing. I don't know, whatever. Uh, Scott Daniels in his book, The First Hundred Days, which some of that, I just like, it doesn't apply to a small church. So I had a little bit of hangups with that. Um, it's a book that all pastors in the Nazarene church seem to be given when they become, a, were you given that, Anna? Did you get that oh, book? Nope. Oh, maybe it's a West Coast thing then. <laughs> um, 
but anyways, uh, it, in it, it said something about this metaphor, and I thought it was beautiful. This was spot on. Becoming a, being the pastor of a new congregation is like being in put a, in uh, being put in charge of some other family's family reunion. You're not actually a part of the family, but you have to suddenly make all of the meaningful, oh, important decisions man, that's so for true. this other family's yeah. family reunion. And how polarizing or isolating can that feel? So that's that was the most beautiful metaphor I ever heard about becoming a pastor of a church that you don't have the connections they already have built in because they just know each other. But anyways, yeah. that's the share of the love. Just that's crazy. Just take your take your pastor out to lunch or something. Fi- but that final question, I want to hear what what can we do to keep Anna's in the church long term? Like, what's the solution? Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Is there a solution? Like, what do we do? Adjust expectations? Uh, change? I mean, because obviously it would be really easy to say, pay Anna more money. But that might not happen. Well, and I think that at the end of the day, it's not about the money. It's it's about a call. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just because you walk away from the ministry doesn't mean that the call goes away. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so even if I were to to not be a pastor anymore, it doesn't necessarily mean that that I wouldn't still feel that pull on my heart. Um, that yeah. you know that God, that's that's what God created me to do. Um, hopefully, I've, I'm never faced with that decision. Um, but I know that uh, burnout is real. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I think, I think that we need to, to reimagine what church needs to look like, um, in, and maybe that's really ideological and, and kind of out there kind of maybe pie in the sky sort of thing. But I think we've got to start with understanding what church really is, um, and, and how, how can we do it better? Um, you know, these, these little churches, they're not failures. They're they're a, a specific flock that God has gathered together through his spirit. And I have been called to minister to this flock, whether mm-hmm. it grows and gets larger or whether we continue to gradually shrink. Um, this is the flock that I've been called to. Um, mm-hmm. But it also means that as the shepherd, I may need some help in shepherding. Um, so, so is there another church, uh, you know, on the district that can share resources? You know, something as simple as Sunday school materials that, you know, what, you know, new Sunday school materials for adult Sunday school class runs a couple hundred bucks a quarter, right? Yeah. A couple hundred bucks. That's, that's huge for us. That's, it's make or break, that's, right, that's, for the smaller churches. Whether or not we pay off our roof loan this month. You know, Um, and I don't even know if some of the larger churches even understand that. Um, But even just like resource sharing and and doing it in such a way that that isn't just, oh, you know, bigger churches. Oh, we're just going to give to the little churches, you know, because they can't make it. But to do it in a way that that maintains the smaller churches dignity and allows relieve some of that pressure from the pastor um, from having to come up with new materials, from having to you know, do all the research behind it, you know, and just have, you know, another pastor come alongside and say, hey, I've, I've got these resources. I think that you might 
be able to use them? Would you like them? You know, or, you know, can we work out something, some other sort of share program or something like that? Um, I, I think, you know, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but it is because it, it relieves some of the, the mental burden of having to come up with that stuff, some of the financial burden. Um, and hopefully it starts to build community between the congregations. Um, yeah. Because we're all part of what instead church. of being co- <laughs> instead of being all competition based, right? right? About metrics and stuff. Exactly. We're we're all part of one flock of sheep. We're just on different mountains sometimes. <laughs> same team. Same yep. team. So I think what I'm hearing you say, and this is this is maybe where we'll leave it as long as I have uh, articulated some of what you're saying in my own Josiah E way. We can't do it the same way we've always been doing it. We have to be willing to change some things. Would you would you agree? Absolutely. Which is scary. And it might involve trusting an Anna or a Byron or a Josiah or any number of the guests that we've had on the podcast to lend new eyes, fresh perspectives to the, the situation and maybe trust that in some way God is able to take a person like an Anna or in you know, any of these guests that we've had and use them in ways that are new and awesome and that maybe God's best is yet to come if we would just let go of things that potentially are getting in the way. But uh, anyway, Anna, thank you. Thank you for being on the show. We really appreciated your willingness. To, and I know it's like midnight o'clock where you're at right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere around there. 1230. <laughs> Speaking of a 4 a.m. day, I'm sorry to have kept you up. So we're going to let you go. But once again, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. And hopefully this will help someone and encourage them um, wherever they're at and whatever they're doing to continue to follow and be faithful to the call that God's laid upon them. So, Well, we appreciate you having you. Go. And thank you for lending your voice to a podcast run by a couple of idiots. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's the whole point, though, is get these stories out there and like, talk about these things that we you know need to be talked about because the church has problems and our generation has problems in the church so we got to do something so thank you for lending your voice to that conversation and being a part of it it means a lot yeah and to our listeners thank you for listening for uh, letting our fun turn into something more than just us being silly Uh, we appreciate your uh your time we would ask that if you do actually like this podcast, to rate it, to review it, to subscribe. You can also contribute to the conversation, interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. All those links are linked in the description. But as always, if you want to hear more about what millennials think, or you like hearing about the faith-based work they are doing in culture, like Anna, then please join us next time on the Millennial Pastor Podcast. I'm your host, Josiah. I'm your co-host, Byron. Until next time, thanks. Thanks.